Welcome to this episode of Master Your Marriage. Charles and I had a powerful conversation last week with Antonio Neves. He has a great podcast called The Antonio Neves Show. He is a best-selling author, executive coach, and international leadership speaker. We sat down with him to talk about unlocking the secrets to a happy and lasting relationship, and we're really excited to share this conversation with you. Yeah, in this conversation, we dig into marriage red flags that you need to be aware of. We talk about controversial things like why you should put your marriage first, even before your children. We dig into the keys of a predictably successful relationship. We talk about positive conflict and possibly most importantly, we get into the negative role that contempt plays in relationship destruction. So we're excited to share this powerful conversation with you. Let's get started. Did you know the average couple waits six years to get help in their marriage? Yeah, that's six years of pain, hurt, and frustration. Hi there, I'm Charlotte Snow. And I'm Robert Snow. And welcome to Master Your Marriage. Where we believe that having an amazing marriage should never feel like hard work and shouldn't be a guessing game. This is the show for married couples who want to discover a scientifically proven approach to building a masterful marriage and have fun while doing it. So if that's you, you're in the right place. Let's dive in. You two share so much on your social and there was a post that stood out to me and you two talked about how you've been married X amount of years, but in that time, you have had three different marriages and you were very clear in the post, like, no, this isn't about getting divorced or renewing vows to one another, but we had three different phases of this marriage. In the first phase of the marriage, I'd love for you to unpack this a little bit for me because I think some people may be listening to this and can identify with it. But the first phase you said was something called the you'll never make it phase. But also you said something so telling in there. It said, and truth be told, we probably shouldn't have. So can you tell me about that that first phase, marriage, marriage one? Marriage one. I, I love it when she looked at me to say go first. Truth be told, I, my favorite part about just even discussing this part is had we got married today, like in today's time frame, we probably wouldn't have stayed together. Because relationships and marriages are so much more, I don't want to use the word disposable because that's the wrong idea, but it's just like, oh, it doesn't work. Uh, pass. No big deal. We'll just go off. So, you know, luckily it was 31 coming on 32 years ago, right? So we were hard headed. Both came from divorced households. Both had no idea how to manage conflict. Like the only conflict I saw managed was yelling and screaming in my house and, and contempt and complacency and all the nice, all the stuff on Charlotte's side. And so, um, you know, she would, she would manage conflict her way and I would manage conflict my way. And neither one of those was great. And boy, I tell you what, when you take two broken people and put them into a relationship and try and create something that's not broken, like, I, I don't know. So we probably shouldn't have made it. Um, but, and you know, and early on, right early on, when you first get married, there's a lot of passion and there's a lot of sex. And so you can make up, you can make up for a lot of, you can make up for a lot of problems. But once, once you kind of get over that hurdle, you got to really learn how to connect and and communicate and and you know how how you disagree is how your marriage goes. So just to be specific on that, I had a lot of patterns. So um, the really big one, and we could talk more about this later, but the really big pattern that I saw coming into our relationship because my parents were divorced when I was eleven, and up to that point there was a lot of chaos. Um, and contempt was the number one tool of manipulation in our home growing up. And so contempt is when you 
talk down to your partner, you belittle your partner, you act like you're disgusted with your partner, and you act like you're so much superior than your partner. And I was really good at that. That's what I saw. And so, yes, we got through the first, you know, passion stage of our relationship. And that just, I didn't know where it came from, but it was like, wow, I did not know I could be my mom. I didn't know I could do that. And I didn't say that, by the way. The day, well, he was being nice. That's why I jumped in so I could be honest <laughs> because he was being nice. But there was this day, and this was kind of towards where we started to shift out of marriage number one. There was this day where he he just looked at me and he's like, Charlotte, nobody can hurt me the way that you can hurt me. Nobody. And it wasn't that I even really saw that I was doing it. For me, it was just a communication style. It was what I had learned. It's what I had seen. I wasn't really intent. Sometimes I was intending to hurt him, being honest. But most of the time, it was just what I knew. And so to see him just being raw and honest and just confronting it without and he did it without any kind of venom he didn't do it in a defensive way he wasn't yelling at me when he said it he just said charlotte nobody can hurt me the way that you can hurt me it pierced my heart and i was like i gotta figure out how to change this this is not okay yeah that, that's powerful and as you're talking especially the work contempt i think a lot of people i personally in different phases of my life can relate to that that work contempt which is can hurt so many people when we show up in that superior type of way and uh Man, uh, it can get personal for so many of us when, when we hear that. It sounds like, I'm curious, we talked about divorce a little bit earlier. Both of you come from divorced households. Uh, I come from a divorced household. Between my mother and father are six different divorces, three on each side. Um, we hear so much about uh, how many marriages end in divorce. One thing I don't think I hear enough about, and I'm curious if you have any information on this, is how people who come from divorced households, what that, how that shows up in their relationships and in their, in their marriage. Yeah. Ooh. You know, I would say just in the work that I do with clients, I don't have a specific number on this, but I will tell you just from experience that probably 90% of the problems that come up in coaching clients stems from those early, early childhood experiences, those models that we have as children. Um, and I think that's good motivation for us to try to figure out something better if we have kids so that we can give them a, a marriage to model. Um, you know, if we, how we, by watching our parents, we either learn what we want or we learn what we want to reject. Yeah, we've always said that. Like, and, and I think everyone says this, right? Like, well, I'm never going to do X, the way that my mom or my dad did that, right? Um, yet we don't understand that 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 the affection that we see between our parents is how we show affection. Um, the time and the attention and the respect we give or saw with our parents, we give and and show that same respect to our partners. Um, the disrespect we saw from our parents is the same disrespect that we will then bring to our partners because. Because we know we don't know any different, and so we have to we have to learn how to have these these deep conversations with our partner, understand how they communicate better, and skill up just a little bit in relationship, and understand that you know, and 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 seek forgiveness, right, and seek a little grace, and that we're all just kind of growing together, like nothing's permanent, hopefully, and you know, and that we can make some changes and grow together, and that's Charlotte and I grew 
together. We grew out of that first stage. We sort of grew into the 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 stalemate stage, which was which was the next one I think that that we talked about. But yeah. but moving from that was was amazing, and we'll get to that. Yeah, actually, and and to kind of sorry, I'm just going to add one more thing because I love this metaphor that we use a lot, and that's that. To, to add to what Robert said about growing together, um, there's a metaphor in the Bible of the of the refiner's fire, right? And so you take metal, gold, silver, whatever, you melt it down until it becomes a liquid. And then when that happens, the impurities rise to the surface. It's the dross, they call it. And that has to be removed so that metal can be reshaped. And so when we talk about the three marriages and we talk about the growth, really what we see is like this melding process that has to happen. And in that process, that in, those impurities have to rise to the surface. That's all of the crap that our baggage, the stuff that we brought into our relationship, our triggers, the, our way our, we saw our parents do it. All of those things rise to the surface. We have to learn to remove that so we can reshape and remold what we have into something better. I love that example from, from the Bible. And as you were two were talking, I was thinking about when we have these challenges, especially we have young ones around us, right? We don't want to repeat the same cycles in front of our children that we saw because right, that they're sponges, they're soaking everything up. Everything. Let's talk a little bit about phase number two, marriage number two, and you labeled it as, as complacency. It said, we just went to work, we raised four little ones, mowed the grass, and whatever was left over, we gave to each other. The, the whatever was left over, we gave to each other. Tell me, <laughs> you, Robert's like laughing big time right now. What was, Tell what me was left over, babe? Oh man, right? Like I'm just laughing when you say that because it's so true. It's so true, and 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 that is the way most relationships go, especially especially if you're if you're fighting, you're frustrated, and you haven't worked out a decent communication or a way to disagree, and then you have little ones, right? And then you throw yourself in. We are our two oldest kids are boys, and so I threw myself into baseball, and I'm coaching. Like I'm coaching with them and then I'm throwing the ball with them. If we're not getting along, I'm just outside of throwing the ball with the kids, right? And so nobody can fault you for being a better parent with your kids, right? And so I did what everyone else did. I just started putting the kids in front of her. And then whatever was left, like we're at baseball till 10 o'clock at night, come home. Hey, I got to be to work at seven. So good night. Good night. Right. And that's what's left. And that's what's your relationship. That and and that's complacency. And you know, if you if you, you know, water the grass once every two weeks for five minutes like you're not gonna have grass you're not gonna have grass very long it's not, or it's not gonna look very good it's gonna wither right and and that's really where we were and and jobs and starting businesses and mm -hmm. and you know all good things but not the not the right direction we went on a drive one day and we were in his truck i'm sitting beside him and i'm just thinking about all the wonderful things i do for the family for the kids and for him and the meals that i've cooked and i'm 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 seeking validation, which wasn't great. But anyway, another point, another conversation. So I'm seeking validation. And I turn to him and I say, hey, so can you remember a time? Can you remember a specific time when you really felt deeply loved by me? And I was like waiting for, okay, give me all the praise. And he gets quiet. Thought it was a trap. I know we were coming up to this like roundabout. And I go, we approach the roundabout, we circle the roundabout, we keep driving on the other side of the roundabout, and he hasn't said a word. It was just dead silence. And he says, No, I can't remember a time when I felt deeply loved by you. So again, like these moments are opportunities. So just like the moment when he said to me, you know, nobody can hurt you, hurt me the way that you do. Again, here's this moment where he was, again, just honest and pure. He could have 
he he knew I was seeking validation and he could have definitely given it to me and made something up, but he wouldn't have been honest. So here was another opportunity for us to grow some more, to scrape off the dross, to refine and remold and to reshape our 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 metal. And so for us, that was when we really started putting us before the kids, before work, before a lot of things. We realized we had to it had to change that because you know, and a lot of people get really uncomfortable with the idea that you have to put your relationship before your kids. But this is what happens when you don't. And if you want to give your kids that foundation where they get to see repair and forgiveness and love and prioritization and affection and admiration, and you see a parents that are speaking kind words to one another and building each other, you have to model that for them. And if you're putting them first, they're probably not going to get to see their parents in that way. Yeah, that's uh, go ahead. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, but as you were talking and describing the, the leftovers, it made me think about a scene I heard in a movie. There's this Ethan Hawke film called Before Sunset, and at some point he said in the movie, he said, I feel like I run a daycare with a really good friend. And he was referencing his wife. And so as you're talking about the leftovers, I get that. I think so many people have, have felt that. And you're right. I feel like it can be controversial. Controversial to say, put your partner first, put your spouse first. When we have work, we have bills to pay, these different things. And of course we can hear the, we, we hear the tired refrain from a lot of men, but I'm sure women too, like I'm doing this, I'm doing this for the family. I'm doing this for you. But then obviously we're not there. So could you just, we'll get more prescriptive here in a little bit in the conversation, but I think for people who are, they're probably wondering right now, listening to phase two, they're like, Hey, I know the leftovers all too well, but Robert, Charlotte, I hear you. Maybe this will get into phase three. How can I start either A, to create more space for us so my wife isn't getting my my, my seconds? I'm not, I'm not giving my best to everyone else. But number two, what does it look like even to put us first mm-hmm. in front of the kids, in front of the work? What does that commitment look like? So you, you give specifics. I'm going to just say, generally speaking, like I, I'm a firm believer that when we get right within the relationship with ourself, being right, being honest and truthful and looking at our own baggage, the how becomes much easier. So it's like, how do I get right within me first? So that for me was taking a long look at like, what are the resentments that I'm holding on? Can I, can I pause Am for I a second? Really? Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I just want to hit pause only because I want to come back to the resentments and get yeah. right. Because I think you bring up a very good point is because most people are looking for the tool. They're looking for right. the screwdriver or the wrench or the seven hacks right. to fix your marriage. Right. But all if I'm hearing you correctly, those, those seven hacks, those tools to do this aren't going to do you any damn good if you're not doing what you're talking about right now. If we don't get right within. Right. And so where am I? Where how am I contributing to this situation? How am I contributing to the problems in the relationship? Where am I still being very emotionally immature and psychologically immature? How can I self-confront me and my participation in the patterns that are going on here? So for me, it's like, how can I get right with those things first? Because then the action plan is going to come from that place. And, you know, and so, for example, like Robert just talked about, maybe it's being honest with myself that I'm using the kids as a scapegoat. I'm using the kids as a buffer. I'm claiming that I'm a really good parent and I'm doing and and I'm not minimizing the work that parents do. I get it. We've had four. It's a lot of damn work. Right. But where am I actually using my kids as a crutch or an excuse because I don't want to deal with my resentments over here? 
you know, as you're describing that, you're talking about how am I contributing to this? What role am I playing in this? It sounds like you're making people to say, hey, look in the mirror and take some take some accountability for their experience. Yeah, yeah that's one thing people don't necessarily like about me. Sorry. <laughs> well, that's what, listen, I'm a coach. I work with people. And, you know, you have to ask yourself sometimes that question, where am I lying to myself? Where am I? What's the biggest lie I tell myself every single day? How am I, you know, contributing to this? And most people, you're right. Accountability is a word that people do not want to hear. They don't want to be confronted with it because once you go there, it opens up some things. And and on that note, Robert, I'm curious for you, for those folks that do want to create more space, they, they the, a man's listening to this saying, I do want to put my wife first, but I don't know where the heck to begin because like you said, I got that job that asked so much of me. I got these kids that want me like you, Robert, to, to go coach baseball and do these things. That yard is just begging for me to cut it right now. Like in the midst of all that overwhelm, where can we start? So I'm going to bring this to maybe guys and also my other my other career um, as well in, in health and fitness. So here's the deal. So we talk about like physical fitness. we got to be strong, right? And and for guys, it's part of who we are. And, and so we want, we, we actually make that a priority. Like I'm going to get up early and I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, I was up at 530 this, this morning riding the Peloton bike because I got to get some cardio in, right? So we'll make time for the things that are important to us. So, and I'm just going to, this is probably the first time Charlotte's heard this, but let's talk about marital fitness. Ooh. Right? That's, let's talk that, about that, marital fitness. Is that your book title? That, that should be the- I don't know. I mean, I, I used, you, we were talking just before we went live, we were talking about, you know, all the things that we do. And I'm like, let's talk about marital fitness. Like, like what do we do to, how are we fitting that in, into our world, right? So the kids and the job and all these things, they have their place and they are important. But I will tell you, so just first step, and this is one of the tools. And by the way, if if you have so much resentment built up, none of these tools are going to work for you, as you said. So we actually have a couple that Charles working with. They're they've 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 disconnected and have so much isolation that they can't even spend much time giving each other a hug because there's so much resentment there, right? And so the tools won't help if you're not going to get right with yourself. But first thing I do when I come home, and we're big on these things called rituals. If I come home, I connect with her, right? Phone down, book down, leave my crap in the garage, come up, I give her a hug, give her a kiss, and then I say, look, I got some stuff I got to do in the garage. She's like, okay, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll circle back and we'll do this, right? So she knows that she's the most important thing in my life. I come in, I half high five my 14 year old who's like six foot two, he's taller than me now, right? Like I give him a little high five, I don't stop to see him, I stop to see her, right? So I'm showing him that she's the thing that I want. She's the person I want to connect with. She's the most important thing for me. He's going to get a high five right after that. I'm going to ask him about how volleyball went, right? And talk to him about his Jordans or something, right? Like whatever 14-year-olds want to talk about. But but she's going to be the most important thing. So we call these rituals, right? Like how do we say hello? How do we say goodbye? And And, and within these sets of rituals, we're demonstrating the importance in our relationship. I'm demonstrating that to her. I'm demonstrating to those around me who see that same thing at work, right? Like nobody can interrupt me in, if I have a patient, but if my wife calls, I'll tell my patients, hey, look, I got to take this real quick because if she's calling me during, if I'm seeing a patient, there's a problem that she needs me to help her with, right? And so it's it's putting them first. It's not, it's not when you, when we say that we put our kids, you know, it's like, oh, is it kids or marriage first? Put your marriage first, right? 
it's sort of like saying you're putting your kids first and your house payment second. And then where are you and your kid, where are you and your kids going to live? Yeah. Well, right. Well, well, first, I love this term marital fitness. Uh, yeah, I, I just came up with it. Yeah. Me, you and I, buddy, let's figure this out. You do what you want to do with it. But I can tell you right now, that's an amazing podcast name. That's an amazing <laughs> book title. You can go a lot of different directions with that. That That is absolutely phenomenal. You probably can identify the, the top seven pillars uh, of marital fitness. Um, I love what you're sharing there. And it's funny, as you're talking, full disclosure, I come into the house sometimes after I've been gone on a business trip for a few days. And sometimes I can visualize walking past my wife in the kitchen and going straight to the kids and giving them some love and appreciation. And then, then I will go to her. But to your point, what is that showing the kids? What is that showing her in terms of... Um, that relationship, those rituals. So for me, I'm, I'm going to take something really personal from that that I'm going to start implementing today. Second, in terms of making more time, I don't have a traditional nine to five job. I travel a lot. I'm on planes. So that means when I'm home, I'm home and I have flexibility throughout the day when I'm working. And something my wife and I have started doing, uh, not as often as we would like, but it's happening more is the truth of the matter is date night isn't something we necessarily love because we're frankly, we're a bit tired like you, Robert. I'm, I'm up super early to work out, get things in. And by the time we go to dinner in the evenings, I'm worn out. She's spent as well. So we've been doing date days and date mornings. Absolutely. So we yeah. get out, you know, during the day for that walk, for that talk, for those lunch and those things. And I think a lot of people forget we have uh, a lot of time in the day. Do this for me briefly, because I want to talk here in a second about some red flags, just so people can uh, think about what some red flags are in, in their marriage. But also we'll get prescriptive about a few things people can do to have that successful relationship in marriage. But paint a picture for us today of what phase three, this third marriage looks like today. I think you just did a great job of doing that, describing even when you come home what that looks like. But what are some of the other tenets that exist in marriage number three that did not exist in marriage one or two? So maybe I'll teach a little bit while I'm explaining that, because what we've really done is we've taken a lot of the Gottman research and we've applied it directly to our own relationships so that we're practicing what we're preaching. So for us, that starts with really being experts in each other's lives. So we are very intentional about having conversations with each other on a regular basis where we're updating, where I give him a map to my inner world. He gives me a map to your whatever, back and forth, however I just said that. You got it. And we update these maps regularly so that I know we know what each other's fears and worries and hopes and dreams and aspirations are, just like when you were dating. And when kids come into the picture, oftentimes we stop asking these beautiful open-ended questions, questions that have stories and hours of discussion. Remember back in those days when you were dating somebody and used to start a, a conversation and you talk for hours about one thing? And we stop doing that. So we stop becoming an expert in each other's world. So we have rituals around that, that we're continuing to, to know each other on an expert level. You know, another big part of what this new phase is, is showing more appreciation. Um, you know, when we dig into everyone's sort of love languages and we do love languages a little bit differently, we do love strategies, which comes from neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, which is more of like how the brain actually understands love. But I know for him, he needs a, he, I shouldn't use the word need. He appreciates those words more than most people. He knows that he's loved by the words that I say. So for me, it's being more intentional in the language that I use so that he knows that he's admired and appreciated and that I'm fond of him. Um, you know, 
the, the other part of phase three that's been huge for us is learning how to actually have positive conflict. You know, we didn't know how to do that in phase one and barely in phase two. I didn't even know positive conflict was a thing. I didn't know you could actually laugh and fight at the same time. Like, who knew? So phase three is learning how to disagree in a way that is super positive um, and learning how to repair when it gets off track a little bit. And then probably the last part of phase three for us that's been, and you can see if you can come up with some other than me, but we've just gotten so good at these rituals that Robert talked about. Like we realize that for us to have this aligned vision where we're helping each other reach our goals, personal goals, professional goals, and where we needed to really dive into what are your core values in this relationship? What are my core values in this relationship? And how can we support each other's values in a way where we're putting rituals to those values? So if our core value is growing together, what can we do on a daily, weekly, yearly basis so that we're growing together? And what rituals can we create for that? Robert, so those are some of the big things. So all of those are great, but the one that popped up, and I'm curious if either you or Robert, you can give an example of this. When you said the two words, positive conflict, <laughs> my ears just popped up. So I'm, I'm just curious for people listening and for me personally, an example of that from a, from a disagreement that a couple may have or something, what can positive conflict look like? Well, so I think the thing to understand about positive conflict, and and I will just tell you this this one stat. So in John Gottman's research, they figured out and they realized that the couples that they studied over uh, the lifetime of their experiences, um, both the Gottmans and the couples they studied, they realized that they, as they brought these couples back and they and they had these disagreements, they were they were having the same disagreements year after year after year after year. And what the research shows is that sixty nine percent of disagreements are not solvable in between between couples. Like that just takes the pressure off. Say That's that, why you laugh. Say that percentage. Say that percentage again. 69% wow. of problems in your relationship are not or never going to be solved. They're just going to be managed. It's going to be that agree to disagree. So the positive conflict is like this again. Okay. I, like, yeah, let's, let's, let's have this, this, let's have this discussion one more time. We know we're not going to solve it. Has your position changed on how we parent Dallin? And he's not being sarcastic. He's 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 being funny. Yeah. Like he's using humor to diffuse the fact that we're having that same conversation that we had last year or last month. Last week. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's be that's great. But that statistic just blows me away. But I like the yeah, keyword you're absolutely using. right. I like the word yeah. you use manage, right? How how we can manage that and maybe accept that and hopefully have some type of I don't know if compromise is the right word, but we can have an, an understanding. You brought up something while we were where we you're talking, Charlotte, that you know, I didn't plan on talking about, but I think it's important to address. So you said something, Charlotte, to the tune of, we want to be experts in each other's lives and mm -hmm. provide them with our maps. As you said that, I think about men specifically and this whole notion of masculinity and all that and this idea of oversharing. Like sometimes you hear this notion that you can't share everything with your wife, your fears, your woes, because you don't want to put that on her. Sometimes we have to carry things ourselves. And I think about something, and I'm paraphrasing that, you know, I think, I don't know if it's psycho psychotherapist Esther Perel said, she said something to the tune of your partner can't be everything to you, meaning we put everything on that person. You know, I'm a part of a men's group here in Los Angeles called Man Morning. I have a massive newsletter that's part of that as well. And one thing that's amazing for that, every single week when we get together, when we talk about marriage, relationships, parenting, businesses, finances, 
you know, this is an amazing release valve for us to share some things that maybe aren't always shared at home, but we have a place to do that. So I'm curious about this whole notion that we can't, I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing Esther Perel about we can't expect our partners to be everything mm-hmm. or that we can share everything. So I think there's two components to your question that I'm I'm thinking of right now. So the first is going back to the first thing I said very early on is expecting our partner. Are we expecting our partner to fix us, which is a huge, huge lie that people think their relationships are going to do. And so we talk often on the on our on our podcast about something called differentiation, which just means we need to take that personal responsibility again to self-soothe, to self-regulate when we're feeling flooded, to remove ourselves from it because we have to be able to have that emotional intelligence to self-manage. So I think that's that's part of it. Um and and you're right, like that's that that person is never going to be our everything. They're not going to soothe every problem. Now, the paradox to that, and I'm going to give you the flip side of that, is that in the research, they would look at couples who would relapse versus couples who didn't relapse. So they'd come in, they would do therapy, and which ones got better and which ones just reverted right back into their old their old ways. And the main difference between those who didn't relapse were the ones who were having stress-reducing conversations on a regular basis because they were insulating their relationship from the stresses of the outside world. Maybe you can talk about what they are. No, well, that's and and it, I'm glad that you, I'm glad that not only both of you brought up the topics we had. So we had a very similar conversation to this. We have these stress relieving conversations, and and early on in our coaching, we tell people we want you to schedule them, but they just become natural. Charlotte asked me just the other day. She's like, "Hey, you seem a little, you seem a little busy or a little short. Like, what's going on?" Instead of getting offended, I just said, "Hey, look, you know, I mean, you know, we got this project and this project, and and." You know, I stacked them all up together. So they're just sort of hitting me. She says, okay, how can I help? Mm. Right. That's it. She didn't say like, like you shouldn't do that. or You need to spend more time with the kids. She just understood that there's a, you know, that I'm, that I'm, I'm running two or three things in my head at the same time. And I wasn't fully present. And she just asked me about it. So there's that piece. Um, I think the other thing that I just saw this morning, uh, on social media, when I was scrolling, it was somebody, it was a gal. And she said, um, I wish I remember who she said, men need more than one question to get into vulnerability. <laughs> oh, that's that's great. You, it, when you said that, more than one question, you know, the coaching work that I do uh, with executives, I always talk about the leaf on the tree. Like if you ask us a question, most people give you the leaf on the tree, but you have to, have to ask those great questions to pull back to the twig, to the branch, to the trunk, to the roots. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that that No, that's perfect. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it, take, it takes a minute, but here's the beauty and and... It's not that I'm trying to put it on her so she can carry it, right? Um, because I have to be differentiated and I have to be able to stand on my own two feet. But but as she becomes an expert in my life, she understands where my stresses are. Mm. And before we left this morning, I knew already we had this today. And I also knew that she had a she had a client that was coming, right? So I, I knew those. So I came home, first question I asked her is, hey, how did your, how'd your session go, right? So these are becoming expert in our lives. But just remember for guys, vulnerability is very difficult because we feel like we need to be this stoic person. However, the caveat I'm going to give you is that vulnerability equals intimacy. Yeah. I love, I, was, I did a session years ago with uh, Gay and Katie Hendricks. They wrote the book, Conscious Living and Conscious Loving. 
I've been certified through their institute for years, and I still remember hearing the words, revealing creates intimacy. You know, revealing creates intimacy, and that is 100% accurate. We're going to shift gears here, and I want to, you know, we've already, we're going to talk about some red flags that can show up in marriages or relationships overall. We've already talked uh, a, a bit about a few of them, so I want to get into a couple of them that really jump out and I think are going to grab some people's attention. We talked about putting relationships first, and that could look like date nights. Um, talked about curiosity and questions and becoming experts in other people's lives. This is an interesting one. And I look at you two right now and you both from your the social media and all that stuff. For me, it's obvious and your amazing skin that you two uh, take care of yourselves. There's a commitment to health and fitness. That's my assumption. That's my guess just by, by looking at you. I don't know if you got some ruffles underneath that table or not. You're, you're going to eat afterwards. But you said something about a red flag can be you've stopped caring about your physical appearance or good manners around your partner. And we hear about dad bods, and it's just natural for people to, to gain weight over the years after kids, responsibilities, this and that. But could you talk about how that's a red flag if we, we, we stop caring about our physical appearance and, and manners? Yeah, when we that in that post that you're referring to, we were really talking about signs of complacency. So that phase two that we talked about in our relationship, what are some signs, you know, when you're, when you're no longer curious, when you're no longer wondering about your partner, when you're not looking for dates or opportunities to connect with each other. And just another red flag could be like, I don't really, I don't really want to get, and I'm not saying everybody needs to be this model perfect, you know, not at all, but there's still those times. And, and you, you've said it too, like he likes to dress up for me. He likes me to feel proud of him. And I do the same. It's like, let me put on a beautiful dress every once in a while and get my hair done and we're going to go out on this sexy date night. You know, it just keeps us showing to each other that we're still trying to court each other, that we're still dating each other, that we still, you know, that doesn't mean I don't have my hair in a messy bun three days a week or in yoga pants for two days straight. You know, that happens. There's those days where I'm working on a project, but I still want him to find me attractive. I still want him to be like, you know, think that I'm the most beautiful girl in the room, you know? And so I care about those things. I care about that. I know he does too. Yeah. I think what's interesting about that is especially for folks that may have nine to fives or lives outside of the home, you go to these jobs so they can see us get done up for the outside world, right? Yeah. They don't necessarily see us do the same thing uh, for them. uh, Speaking of of our partners, another red flag you have is ignoring each other's attempts to connect. Yeah. Can you tell me can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I mean again, right, all these fall into the complacency side. Um some of the so this is based on some of the Gottman research. Early on they did they took newlywed couples and they put them in it basically was like an Airbnb. So that they had them they had them wear um heart rate monitors and there was cameras watching, you know, their remove and and so initially what they found were there were basically two types of individuals individuals, people who responded, they call these bids for connections. And Bids for connections are just something simple like, like, oh, hey, look, did you, you see the, she's looking out the window and she said, did you see that, that, uh, that cabin up on the hill? That looks really cool. And the partner in this instance, if he's responding to a bid for connection, he would say, oh, that, that's really cool. Like that, that's awesome. Maybe we should, you know, rent the cabin or do something like that. Or conversely, the disaster who, who said, who doesn't say anything. He just looks at his phone and he's like, "Mm, yeah. Yeah, nothing, right? There's these, there are these micro attempts to connect in your relationship that oftentimes might be passing you by if you're not paying attention. And they're small, 
just like a sigh when when your partner walks through the room maybe they're not having a bad day or they just sit down and groan a little bit and hold their back and you're like you have an opportunity to ask the question like how like what's going on are you all right um or like yeah i just had a rough day and i did a bunch of laundry or you know i was working in the garage or whatever right like any one of these things and it, it creates an opportunity to connect and when we miss these opportunities to connect um as they found in the research, what was the percentage? So they found they brought these newlywed couples back six years later to see who was still married and who was divorced or separated. And they found that going back and rolling the tapes back from six years previous, the ones that were still together had responded positively to these bids for connection 86% of the time, whereas the ones that ended up divorced had only responded to those bids 33% of the time. So how we respond to these micro attempts to connect is a factor in whether our relationship is going to last. And it's something that we lose when we become complacent. Like Robert said, they can be so like almost insignificant, you miss them. Um, But they can also just, you know, just be, you know, a touch and, and, and turning away from that touch, you know, and not, not responding to that touch. And I think a big problem in our world right now are our phones. You know, when we look at our cell phones, that's something that really gets in the way of these bids to connect. How many times do we try to get our partner's attention and they're scrolling, you know, TikTok and they didn't even hear the fact that we tr- made an attempt to connect with them? For bids of connection, as you're talking, you're talking about ignoring each other's attempts to connect. Something else you had for a, a red flag on a post. Is this, the, is this the same as a bid or is this different? You mentioned disregarding partner's thoughts, opinions and ideas. Ooh. Yeah. Or is that fall, does that fall more in line with maybe contempt or is that similar to a bid for connection? That, that could be contempt. Um, you know, it could, be both. it could be both. So every big decision in our relationship, right? Um, I think I should, you know, cut the tree down or I, sh- I should, you know, buy new tires for the truck or something like that. Um, you know, I would ask her opinion. And if she says it's a bad idea, then I just ignore it and I just go do it anyway. Right? Um, oftentimes I already know the decision I want to make. The question is, Am I grown up enough to accept her influence in that situation? She's like, you know what? Like, I know you need new tires for your truck, but could they last a little bit longer? And then, you know, we got to do this other thing first, right? So, so it's, it, part of it is, can you accept influence from your partner or are you just running your own show? Again, running a daycare with my best friend. Love that quote. That's Ethan Hawke, right? Yeah. Before sunset. No, no. But I love what you just said. Are you running your own show? And listen, I, I know what it's like personally to run my own show like it you know in the household and all of that you have these conversations but you're still going to do what you want to do versus having that connection and as you said taking on their influence and them being your your confidant your advisor your consultant if you will and I think it's a good opportunity if we we, we view them as that I want to shift a little bit about some things that can predictably uh, determine if a relationship will be successful or not <laughs> Uh, but one, I think there's a red flag that connects to that as well. So the red flag that you listed is one, it was sex has become a tried and true old recipe, but you said, but you said they, okay. a, a pre, something for a predictable, successful relationship is make love more and don't hold back. So can we connect those two? Goodness, there's so many places I want to I want to take this conversation right now. But, you know, awesome. I, I will tell you, because we've been married for 31, almost 32 years, sex has never been better. 
than it is right now. And I will tell you that there's a direct connection between cellulite and old age and a wonderful sex life. Because we get to a point in our relationship where our insecurities and our anxieties are kind of behind us, where we're more mature. We have a more mature relationship and it's so much fun. It is so much better because I'm not laying there going, oh, is he looking at my thighs? Is he looking at my cellulite? Is it, you know, and I'm getting in my head. And when we get in our head, it's so easy to have desire go away. Right. But when we come from a more um, mature perspective, I love David Schnarr. She says, sex is leftovers. He calls it leftovers. He says, we start our relationship and you bring to the table all the things you want to do. And I look at it and I go, oh, that's dirty and nasty and perverted and wrong. And I'm not doing that. And then I bring all the things to the table that I'm willing to do. And he says, oh, no, that's dirty and nasty and perverted. And what's left over is a buffet of leftovers. And as we get older in our relationship, the leftovers is a lot better because all of the things that we thought were gross at one point, I mean, we all thought French kissing was gross when we were 12, right? We thought, ooh, I'm never going to do that. But you get into these more mature relationships and you can you can create so much more meaning and so much more fantasy between the two of you where you're willing to go places that you weren't willing to go when you were 20. So, yes, be open to growth because growth equals better better lovemaking. Better lovemaking, better everything. This could be a whole uh, episode on its own. Yeah. It come back. I might have taken that too far. Sorry if I did. No. No, listen, this this is the truth of what people need need to hear. And I love what you said, that as we get older, we get more comfortable in our skin and our bodies. What that allows for, you, you know, we could have a full episode on this. Maybe we'll have you come back and we can talk specifically about that. I do want to share two more, you know, signs that can lead to a successful relationship or marriage. And... This one right here really stood out to me. It's uh, something that I don't think a lot of people do. And then I have to remind myself to do this. And that is look for what is going right and acknowledge it. How how easy is it to complain and to point out what's wrong and what's broke at the house and this and that, but look for what is going right and acknowledge it. Yeah, that's called, it's it's, it's called being on a positive perspective, right? Versus a neg- the opposite of that's called negative sentiment override, which means just everything sucks, right? And we've all been around those people. Uh, and you don't want to be around somebody who's negative all the time. And yet you come home sometimes after you had a stressful day and that's all you do, right? You trip over, you trip over two shoes, come into the back door. For me, I trip over two, two size 12 bas- basketball shoes coming in the back door nonstop, right? And I could let that just ruin the day, but but as we start to look for what's right in our relationship, we start looking for the good things that our partner does, not the bad things, right? But the good things, the opportunities that that they took to be caring, to be kind, to serve. Like, oh, hey, you know, I mean, I brought her some, I don't know if I brought her some orange juice this morning or whether we went through the California law and she got 50% of my orange juice this morning. But You brought, you brought me orange juice. I might've brought her orange juice this morning, but- I, you know, it's sort of half empty, half full, right? Like I brought her orange juice and she said, oh, thanks for, you know, thank you for thinking of me in that way. And so I think sometimes it's about, it's about acknowledging the things that go right in our relationship. It's about acknowledging the hard parts. Like, man, I know you had a rough day and, you know, she was at volleyball practice in a game and she still had to do a client and then come home and write a script and we had a podcast. Like, I'm like, I had it easy. I just, you know, I know the one place I was going to be and she was all over the place. So 
finding opportunities to show gratitude, to find this positive perspective in your relationship where you're always looking for what your partner does right instead of looking for what your partner does wrong. Because guess what? We're always doing something wrong. Absolutely. When we're looking, when we're looking for what's right, we give the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. so that when our partner is home late for the third time that week, we don't start to go to all the places of criticism and what the hell, you know, those types of things. We start to think, we start to give the benefit of the doubt, like, you know, maybe he stopped on the way home to grab dinner, or maybe he had some, you know, a client that went late. So it's it's the positive habit of mind will choose, will cause us to choose the, the giving our partner that benefit of the doubt in most situations. And I'll tell you, when when we lose that, that's a really big red flag that the relationship's going sideways. When we lose that benefit of doubt, that positive perspective, it's usually because we've poorly managed conflict and or friendship has gone away. Yeah. I'm hearing you very clearly say, assume best intent on that part. Yeah. And assume best intentions. And that goes so far. This is the last thing we'll get to here in this conversation, which I've absolutely loved in terms of something that can be a predictable sign of success in a marriage. And it makes me think about the work of of the Gottman Institute. And that is, you say, speak daily words of appreciation. Speak Mm -hmm. daily words of appreciation. I think there's a statistic that I want to pull out right now, but I can't. But going back to predictors of success, if you have X amount of appreciations versus X amount of, I don't know, contempt or something, it can tell you if you're going to succeed or not in that relationship. But could you just think it'd be a beautiful part to end on talking about those words of appreciation? So we said earlier that contempt was really toxic to relationships. But what we didn't say is that it's the number one predictor of divorce. The number one. And not only does it predict divorce, and if it's in your relationship, you want to get rid of it right away, like first off, it also predicts illness. So they did research with an immunologist where they looked at the number of illnesses that a person would have in the following year, and it was directly correlated to how much contempt they received. Wow. So the number one antidote for contempt is appreciation. Because remember, contempt is being superior. And when you can see the good in each other, when you have that positive perspective and you're looking for what's going right, but not just looking for it, taking it a step further and speaking it and infusing your relationship with it, you are acting the opposite of contempt, right? You are you are protecting your relationship from that contempt. I think that's a beautiful place to end on. Let me just say out loud that I see the good in you mm-hmm. too. And I can't thank you enough for joining me today. I love, love what you're sharing on social media. I'm going to share all those links in the show notes. For folks that want to learn more about you two and your work, where, where is the best place for them to go? Yeah, so we're Master Your Marriage on is, is the name of our podcast. So if you go to MasterYourMarriagePodcast.com, that's our website. That's also the name of our podcast. And Master Your Marriage is the name of all of our social media channels. So you can find us any of those places. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to having the opportunity to, to meet you both in person one day. Us yeah. too. I hope so. That would, this, be great. that would be a lot of fun. If you're interested in connecting with Antonio or receiving his newsletter that is read by thousands of men and women called Man Morning, you can find him and sign up for the newsletter at manmorning.com. His newsletter is for married, growth-driven fathers who are committed to getting better and I love the last episode that he that he sent into my email box. I read this thing every week. And you guys, if you're interested, go check that out. You're going to find a lot of value there. 
As always, thank you for being here today. Remember, be kind to each other. Put each other first. It's the small and simple things each day that build strong, lasting relationships. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Master Your Marriage. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, then we want to hear from you. Just go to MasterYourMarriagePodcast.com and send us your question. Oh, and while you're there, you can also check out our retreats and events and even apply for coaching. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get advanced notice of when the next episode drops, plus show notes and many extras. Thanks again for tuning in.